Before we start the broadcast of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage podcast, I just wanted to make you all aware of the official sponsors for the 2023 series. Our agency are a full-service digital creative agency specialising in branding, web and content creation. They are delivering results in Wakefield for organisations such as Trinity Walk and the Wakefield Cathedral. And they offer upfront, no-nonsense marketing to help you achieve your goals. Drop them a line, follow them on all their social media accounts or take a look at their website and make our agency your agency. If you're a local business in the Wakefield area and interested in sponsoring the podcast, drop Lee or Jamie a message on the Heritage social media accounts and we'll get back to you as quick as we can. Now, over to you, Cammy. Hi, it's Cammy, Chris Kamara, and you are listening to the Trinity Heritage podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. They are unbelievable. Good afternoon, good morning and good evening from wherever you're listening from. My name is Jamie Robinson and welcome to episode 92 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage podcast. Now, this is the seventh installment in the series of the Trinity Trailblazers series. And if you have been sleeping under a rock, we've already covered past legends such as John T. Parkin, Dennis Booker, Harry Wilkinson, A.K. Crosland, Billy Simpson, Bill Horton, Mick Exley and Billy Batten. And you can find all of those podcasts and all podcasting platforms worldwide under the Wakefield Trinity Heritage podcast banner. But as I was saying, this is the seventh installment in our much-loved Trinity Trailblazers series. But before we introduce who we're covering today, um, Dad, welcome, Lee Robinson. What's been happening in, in the world of Trinity Heritage this week? Well, over the last few weeks, we've sort of been working side by side with the Trinity Pass Players Association, which I'm part of as well. So we, before the Leeds game last week, we organised a sponsored walk. Um, it was basically driven by Graham and Martin Law. They're the experts and all that. And they put a team together and did the Wakefield, 35 miles of the Wakefield wheel, raising money for MND and Rubber League Cares. Uh, we had a, a two thousand pound target, and we reached that target last week. So that was a, a good, um, a, a great achievement by all. A lot of past players joined in. Even they didn't do the full thirty five miles, but uh, they all opt on and opt off, and we all ended up back at the uh, the club for the Leeds game. So that's the past. What we've been doing with the past players. We're now planning the golf day. Gary Spencer looks after that, and the Hall of Fame now, which me and Stuart Dickens look after, and that's going to be around about October. Good stuff. Have you put anything of interest on the social media websites this week? Still a lot of links to David Topley. So I'm, obviously, I'm still writing his book, which uh, everybody's all aware of now. Will listen to this. But last Friday was 15 years to the day that Topo died. He was only 58. Um, 60, uh, 16th of June 2008, it was. Um, so that was a, a big day. We we sort of not celebrated that, but brought it to everybody's attention and put lots of Topo stuff on the social medias. Uh, we're also continuing our memorabilia purchases. There's all sorts going on at the moment. And last week I uh, got a 1909 team picture. And this week I've got some old Baines cards. Baines cards were like beer mats from 100 odd years ago. So I've got one from 1895 with a Trinity player on. As well as that, so we're plowing on with Topo's book. Good stuff. So coming to the Trinity Trailblazers is quite a popular part of our, our podcast. Like we've mentioned, it's basically about covering the legends of, of years gone by because everybody's kind of covered with the likes of Neil Fox and Ian Brook and David Topless, etc. But it's kind of the generation and before them, kind of pre-war and during the war as well. Like, like we've covered the likes of Parkin and Wilkinson and, and Simpson. But today we're going to be covering 
a lad called Charlie Pollard. So, Charlie Pollard, tell us why Charlie Pollard and why, why did you pick him? Yeah, you, you, you sort of hit the nail on the head there. We sort of concentrated on pre-war players. And not, not many people know pre-war players. And even before I sort of got going with me at Trinity Heritage, I was amazed how many stars we had before the Second World War. Charlie Pollard, basically, he was the, he was the goal-kicking king of Trinity in the 20s. Long before Neil Fox came along, Charlie Pollard was the greatest goal-kicker in our club's history. He kicked 654 in his 12-year career, and he scored 1,425 points. And he's still second on both lists to this day. So bear in mind, we've been going 150 years. We've had 1,446 players in that time. Charlie Pollard is number two on the goals and number two on the points. He's also played for Yorkshire and Great Britain as well. So when you look, he's a real star of our pre-war days. What what position was, was Charlie Pollard? He was a big full-back. He was actually registered. He came through as a centre. And even when you look at the Trinity records back in the day, he'll put Charlie Pollard centre. But he played fullback all his life. He was a big, strong, powerful, fearless fullback during the 20s. And, and stories go that uh, he would smash any winger that tried to go past him into the terraces. So he was quite an able, agile, big, strong fullback at the time. Do you know much about his upbringing? Um, we, we know he was born in the 1890s. Um, we know his dad was called Arthur and his mum was called Georgina. And he was born in Wakefield in the Kirgit area before his dad uh, went into the licence trade and he had uh, the White Bear pub in Bridge Street. Now, I'm not sure where the Bridge Street was, whether that was down Kirgit as well, but he was brought up in the in the pubs uh, of, of town. He had four other brothers as well, who all went on to play rugby league, which we'll mention a little bit later on. So where did he start his, his rugby league upbringing? He started Trinity. Um, he, he came through with the juniors. He went straight into the Trinity Juniors team in 1915. The intermediates, or the under-19s at the time, were called Wake Bellevue All Blacks. But in 1915, the war started, so he basically lost four years. Um, when he was 17, he went to uh, he, when the war started. He lied about his age and, jo- and joined the army. So he lost as soon as he started, he lost his first four years. Wow. So what, what did he do in those in those war years? We're unsure about his war activity because obviously he was still only 17, 18, but we do know he played football in the army and he was pretty good. And the team he played, I think he was, he was based down London Way and the teams he played for won a lot of trophies. And he was that good that West Ham offered him trials, West Ham United. But he didn't want to play football. And what his dream was to play for Wayfield Trinity once the war had finished. Wow. So when did his career start, Trinity? Um, August 1919, he made his debut. So he actually debuted four years after he actually signed, as soon as the war finished. It was the first match of that 1919-20 season. He played against Hunslet. And he played 34 games that year, um, kicking 39 goals. And he was quite well known for his for his goal kicking prowess. He did. He was sort of built up once once he got into the team. He was we didn't have many goals, you know. That year when he topped the goal, when he, when he kicked 39 goals in 1919-20, he topped the goal kicking charts because we just didn't kick many goals. Similar to the season, we didn't score many tries either. So it was very forward orientated sport in the uh, pre post war years. Playing in the modern, you got lots of nil nils and three nils and six five five threes and things like that. But by 1922, he'd kicked his hundredth goal, and two years later, his form was that good. He was selected for Great Britain Lions to tour Australia, and New Zealand, and here lies a great story that I found linked to his goal kicking. Um, he wasn't in the well, on this on this Great Britain tour in 1924. He wasn't in the, the initial test squad. He was in the midweek team. And one week, all the test squad went off to Melbourne. They were they were playing a game down there. And the rest of the team went to the SCG at Melbourne to, to practice. 
Uh, and some Australian onlooker, some Australian supporter had heard all about these English kickers and suggested a goal kicking competition because the English kickers were quite good. So all the, the, the Great Britain players lined up and all had a kick and they were kicking from the 25 and kicking from the corners and what have you. And they all had shots around and then up stepped, up stepped Charlie Pollard. He actually put the ball on the halfway line, took 10 steps back, kicked it so high that it, when, it was, when it was going over the post, it was still rising. And because SCG is a cricket field, there was lots of room behind the goalposts. So he actually landed way beyond the posts. And uh, they were amazed with these supporters. And they actually measured it. And they actually measured it 95 yards, which is roughly the length of a, a rugby field, from toe to first bounce. So when it left his boot, it went 95 yards before it bounced first time. And when you think that's a hell of a, you know, who can do that now? It's like kicking a goal from your own post and not bouncing until the other post. So that was classable record. Yeah, they actually um, they, they sort of went to town on that. But then they went further. They, 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 everybody else was trying goal kicks. And what they did then, they all put, he went and, and went on his own 25-yard line and he was kicking goals from 20. So he's kicking 75-yard goals and he had six shots. The first one and the last one at the crossbar and the, the, the second, third, fourth and fifth went straight over the cross straight over the crossbar over the post. So he was kicking goals from 75 yards out. He did later explain that he, was, he felt it was far easier to kick goals in Australia because the air was thinner and offered less resistance. But that's some that's some boot. And they wouldn't have had high-tech boots like they have these days. The balls would have been heavier, I imagine, as well. Exactly. Um, yeah, it can't be easy, can it? You wouldn't have had goal-kicking training, I imagine, off the likes of Burston or anyone like that. So no, it's no. more impressive, definitely so. Did, did, he, did he play any tests on tour? He played one because the fullback back in 1924 was Jim Sullivan of Wigan, and he was quite a bit of a, a guru, one of the greatest players in the history of the game. So he played in a lot of the, all the Australian tests and the first Kiwi tests. He then got injured, uh, and Charlie played in the second test in New Zealand, um, and the Kiwis won 13 11. But he did play eight, 11, eight other games on that tour, scoring six tries on that 1924 tour. Next comes up the 1923 uh, 24 season. Was this successful for him? That was the season he was that good. He got picked for Great Britain Lions, and he was that good because he was the Yorkshire fullback as well. So it was he got picked for the only two games against Lancashire and Cumberland, and he was the Yorkshire fullback in both. In the first match, they beat Cumberland 51-12 at Hunslet. And bear in mind, 50 points in 1923 were phenomenal because we've just mentioned that hardly any um, tries were scored. Um, but he kicked six goals that night. Uh, in the return match with Lancashire, they lost 6-5 in Oldham, so they didn't win the championship. But John T. Parkin was the captain of... Uh, Yorkshire, as well as captain of Great Britain at that time. So John John T. Parkin was his Trinity captain, his Yorkshire captain, and his Great Britain captain. Wow! And, it, and did he continue with his goal kicking? I imagine he did. Yeah, because like he was he was saying that it's easy to kick goals in Australia from so far distance, but he actually kicked a couple over here when you when you research him. There was one day, I think it was New Year's Day, nineteen twenty-seven, we were playing Wigan away and we we're losing by a point, and we got a penalty in our own half near the touchline, and it was muddy. And he, kicked, he actually kicked the goal. Everybody was taking the mickey out of him, the Wigan fans, thinking he wasn't going to kick it. But basically, he kicked it out of the mud in his own half near the touchline, and he won the game at Wigan. And then he did the same at Barrow as well. He actually, at Barrow a few years later, he was actually 15 yards in his own half. And he not only kicked the goal, but it went, the ball went over the over the post and out of the ground as well. So he still had this phenomenal kicking um, technique that uh, kept him going through his career. We talk about obviously himself and John T. Parkin being at Trinity in this time, but Trinity only won one trophy in this era. Did did he get did he play? Did he get a medal? 
He did. Strangely, he was on the wing. Um, it's, I've, I've, I've just lost <clears throat> the team now, but uh, he'd been the full-back throughout the whole of his uh, career. But he was on the wing this week, and they beat Batley 9-8. John T. Parkey was quite phenomenal, and he kicked another couple of mammoth goals. I remember reading there were, there were one from the touchline and one from a long way away as well. So to, to uh, beat Batley 9-8, I think Batley were a fair side back in the 20s as well. And that's the only cup Trinity won in the 20s. And did he also have a benefit that year or the year after as well, in 1925? He did, yeah. No, I don't know why, because obviously he made his debut in 1919. 1925 was six years later. So unless they counted it, the fact that he's actually signed in 1915, and it was 10 years after he, after he signed. But back in the day, you could pick your own game, and you, you, you got the takings out of the game. So he was he, he picked the Leeds game, the 1-9-4. Uh, twelve thousand turned up, and he, he and he got six hundred and he got four hundred and sixty four pound for the day. Now that's twenty three grand in today's money. So just picking up twenty three grand in one game, I think that's quite phenomenal for a, a player back in nineteen twenty five. And yeah, I know you mentioned he, he was predominantly a fullback and played elsewhere. But what what was fullback? What was the fullback position like a hundred years ago? I imagine really? it's kind of developed in decades upon decades since. You had to be a good kicker, obviously not just a goal kicker, but you had to be a good kicker out of your hands as well. And back in the 20s, you used to have goal kicking duels where the full backs would just kick balls to each other, waiting for the other one to either make a mistake or or, or drop the ball or, or just or run it. And he used to win a lot of those because he was that powerful. He'd be just pushing the other full back, full back, full back further. Um, and that was that was the style of the full back player back in the 1920s. I, I did see it once myself. I don't know why they were doing it. The Australians were doing it when they came on touring in the late 70s. Um, and the Australian fullback started doing it with one of the English guys. I can't remember which one. Um, but my dad said it was quite a common thing through the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s. Faded away now. You had to be a, a solid fullback. But there wasn't as much pace back in the 20s, so you could actually pull people down quite well. But that was the main thing about being a fullback. You had to be a fair kicker at the time. And I know you mentioned earlier, you know, about his upbringing and he had a lot of brothers as well and all his brothers were involved in rugby league. Tell us about them if you've got anything on their background. Yeah, there's a great picture um, in 1927 of the Pollard brothers and they're all stood in a line getting bigger and bigger as they went along from the old, from the youngest to the oldest. So there were five brothers, five Pollard brothers. Charlie was the eldest, obviously played for Great Britain and Yorkshire. Then came Ernest. Ernest Pollard was a star in himself. He was 10 years behind Charlie. He signed for Trinity in 1927 and was the youngest deputant um, at the time. And he was still the youngest deputant until Richard Goddard came along in 1990. So all those years, 100 years later, he's still the second youngest player to ever make his debut. So he was 16 when he played against Cass. He also went on to Yorkshire and Great Britain fame too and toured in 1932. So those two brothers, they, they actually played together as well. So obviously Ernest played debuted in 1927. Charlie retired in 31. So they had four years together in the Trinity team. The third brother was called Lionel, Lionel Pollard. He was a full-back. He only played two first-team games in 1932, but he was a regular full-back in the reserves. Obviously he couldn't get in because of his brother. So that was where he, he was in the reserves. Then the fourth brother was, was called Donald. Uh, he was a fullback as well. Uh, he was in the Trinity Reserves, but moved on to Leeds and Batley. So that was the fourth. And the fifth one was called Wilf, Wilfred. He played in the Trinity Juniors, but was killed in the war. He was killed in action in 1940. So they were the five brothers who all played. Uh, the, they all played in a Trinity shirt. So three at first team level and the rest at uh, reserves. Charlie's son also played rugby. as well. I think Charlie's son was called Roy Pollard. He played for Jewsbury and Great Britain, and he toured with Great Britain in 1950. Ah, oh, brilliant stuff. What a great family history. So, 
obviously Charlie being the elder statesman of them all, did he did he retire first? He did. He retired in nineteen thirty one, which I think he was in his early thirties. I think he was born in eighteen ninety eight. I think so. It was about thirty thirty three when he retired. He kicked five goals against Jewsbury on Christmas Day, nineteen thirty one. So he retired at Christmas. He finished with three hundred eighty two appearances. Um, and when he retired, he was third on the list at the time. And all those years later, nearly 100 years later, he's still 10th. So there's only another nine players who've played more than 382 games um, for Trinity. And as mentioned earlier, he took the goals and the points at the time before Neil Fox came along. So all this time later, nearly 100 years after he retired, he's still second on the goals and still second on the points, um, point scoring lists uh, in Trinity's history. Wow, fantastic. And what, what, do you know much about him after he retired? Where did he end up? Well, he was always in the he followed his dad in the pub trade, and, and Trinity programs from back in the twenties had him running the Graziers pub in Bellevue. And anybody that remembers the Graziers, it's gone now. It's on the corner of um, the cemetery, but it's where they, everybody used to go after the match or after training. So he had that from the nineteen twenties onwards. He also had a pub called the Manor House um, or the Manor Hotel in Kirgit, and then up until he, he, he died, he had the Thorpe Hotel in Middleton in Leeds. And he had that from 1951 to 67. And he died in 1968, age 71. Wow. So, if you know, I mean, we've, we've highlighted it a lot already, but what really is Charlie Pollard's legacy in the game? I think it's his kicking. You know, it's like we've, yeah, we talk about Neil Fox with all his goals, but Charlie Pollard was the the the, the start of uh, this mammoth kicker. Um, his mammoth kicking, goal kicking, was stands out for, from from anyone else. Um, you, you not not just the amount of the amount he kicked, but the distance he could kick them from. There was a poem written in the nineteen fifties that I I found um, when I was researching this. And bear in mind, this is twenty years after he resigned. The poem went something like, "What goes with tea, milk? What goes with strawberries, cream? What goes with rugby league goal kicking, Jim Sullivan? What goes with long goal kicking, Charlie Pollard?" So to me, that's his legacy, that goal-kicking uh, history. What a brilliant way to round off. Brilliant. Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode 92 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast and the seventh instalment of the Trinity Trailblazers series highlighting Charlie Pollard. For more updates on the history of Wakefield Trinity, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WT Heritage Pod. Thank you to my co-host, Lee Robinson. We will catch you all on Monday night with an interview with ex-Wakefield Trinity player Paul Broadbent. I've been Jamie Robinson, and we will catch you all down the road. Hi, it's Cammy Chris Gamara. You have been listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. It's unbelievable!